Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, helping you take back your life from unwanted sexual behavior and betrayal trauma. Hello there, listener. I am your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 291 of the Pure Desire Podcast. You're joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Stempo. All by myself. <laughs> Don't want to well live. Oh, well, but everybody now myself. A lot of vibrato in there. Anymore. Oh, gosh. <laughs> For those who've been listening, you know that when Nick tends to get loud in his intros, Justin tends to get irritated. So, hey, pal, how you doing over there? Okay. Oh, scale of one to two. It's a two? Got it. Uh, okay, so today um, we got to hang out with Chandler Rogers, who's the co-founder and CEO of Relay which is an app that helps people breaking out of isolation. And we thought, you know what? Why not talk to him about breaking out of isolation? Yeah, you know, and it seems like that that sound clip, that song is played in the kind of low moment of every movie where the character is <laughs> all by true. themselves and no one it's to help true. and feeling down in the dumps. And uh, I think just a good depiction of what can happen in isolation where we get stuck in these negative patterns of how we feel about ourselves and the world. And we, we often don't have the language or the, the resources to know how do I express to others what I'm going through and find people that can be a support to me in the journey, which yeah. we all need. You know, it's, it's why Pure Desire has made groups really the foundational element of recovery because we feel like outside of connection with other human beings who can relate to our story, who can support us, we're, we're not going to make the lasting change we need to. And so I think today was a great episode uh, to talk about that, to unpack what isolation is all about. And really to hear more about um, a new app that can be a part of people yeah. uh, being proactive to stay in relationship, connection, choosing vulnerability. And uh, I really think people will get a lot out of this conversation. Totally. It is a good conversation. You guys are going to like Chandler for sure. Um, you know, Nick, another way to um, join a team or get involved or be a part of something is to be a member of what we call Team 58 here at Pure Desire. And whether you're just starting recovery, or you've been through the recovery process and you've, you're 10 years, 20 years in, this is still an opportunity to have um, 
really a, a shared experience of helping pass along healing to other people. Why don't you tell people a little bit about Team 58? Yeah, yeah. And Team 58 comes from Isaiah 58, where God says through the prophet that as, as people honor God, that their healing will come quickly, their salvation will break forth like the dawn, and that some of them will become those who rebuild the fallen walls and restore the broken cities. And so we've uh, taken hold of that imagery to say, you know, as God brings healing to us, some of us will be called to feel like we're a part of paying that healing forward, of helping mm-hmm. others rebuild their lives, restore their marriages. And that's a, a, one part of that is the financial component of paying that healing forward to help others by monthly support to Pure Desire. And so we've yeah. now got over 200 people that are a part of our Let's monthly go. support. And it really just helps us together accomplish things that we can't do um, alone. And so it's, it's meant a lot. And then we really do, um, we mean it when we call it a team because we create monthly connection opportunities, uh, quarterly Zoom calls, just ways that we communicate to our team members yep. uh, that we don't communicate to everyone publicly. So it's, it's a way that you can further your sense of, of ownership and belonging with pure desire being a part of this mission, but also to use what God has done in your life to hopefully take that into someone else's healing as well. So we'd encourage you to consider jumping mm-hmm. in on Team 58. You've maybe heard me talk about it before. If you're not a part of the team yet, we'd love to have you join. It's it's an honor to be a part of that team with everyone. And yeah, um, yeah it's just an opportunity that we have to do some things together. Yeah, absolutely. So if you would like to become a financial donor on a monthly basis and join Team 58, you can go to puredesire.org slash give. Couple things before we get into our time with Chandler. Subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the major platforms. This full episode is also up on YouTube, so make sure to check that out. Share that with your friends, and then follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. And with that, here's our time with the co-founder and CEO of Relay, Chandler Rogers, on breaking isolation. Chandler Rogers, welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, bro. Great to have you. Hey, man. Good, good to be here with you guys. Yeah, uh, Chandler and I. Well, we met at the summit, right? Last year, right? and yeah. um, I'd heard you'd been pestering our group's team about your app and everything that was going on, and it was cool to connect, um, gotten to do some uh, some reconnaissance, if you will, on some of the episodes you've been on and other podcasts. And uh, yeah, man, we just wanted to have you on because this is something that you and your organization are about um, and finding really how this connects to our audience. And so we wanted to talk about breaking isolation, what it looks like, because this is such a big piece to the recovery journey. Um, but before we kind of get into all of that, some of our listeners may not be familiar with you um, or your company. So will you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background and then also a little bit about Relay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess the, the story with Relay and, and with my background goes back to my early childhood. I was the oldest of five kids. I grew up in a uh, really faith-filled Christian family with parents who did an awesome job at trying to help us learn uh, how to be good people and and good disciples of Christ. And I, I think from an early age, being the oldest, uh, we also moved around a lot growing up. I felt a lot of pressure to perform in different areas of my life and to be, uh, I, I guess, someone that lived up to the expectations that I felt were kind of there from my parents and from our church community and, and from just different angles. And I remember uh, early on, like we had pretty open talks in our household about, um, healthy sexuality and and specifically like avoiding pornography and, and the dangers there. Um, and, and you know, talked to a lot of friends who that wasn't the case for them. And, and it felt like it was something that was never talked about and, and was a, a taboo topic. I actually felt like it was something we talked about often enough that 
wasn't like scary or anything, but, um, I remember like when I first, uh, was exposed to pornography and masturbation, I was thinking my first year of high school, so like 14 years old. And I, I think I just didn't really understand, I guess, or like map the dots in my head of like what was happening and like the thing that we had talked about growing up and what I sincerely didn't want in my life. And I think it started to develop into a habit before I really realized what was kind of going on or, or generating awareness that, hey, this is actually kind of bad or I didn't want this. Um, I, I felt like it was already kind of compulsive or tough to break out. Like mm -hmm. my first few attempts to kind of leave it behind me weren't really successful. And I remember feeling a lot of shame. And this was something that I kept to myself, but I reflected a lot on like, you know, how could I be struggling with this? I must be a terrible person. I'm letting God down. I'm surely letting my parents down if they knew, um, if my siblings knew, like, you know, people who struggle with this have to be broken and terrible people. Hmm. And I think I had a lot of these cognitive distortions and, and misconceptions early on that really started to weigh on my relationship with God and my relationship with people around me. And I think this is where the theme of isolation started to creep in for me because it started to be this really vicious cycle where, you know, all those feelings made me only want to, you know, keep it to myself more. Yeah, yeah. And and instead, what I what I did was just like, you know, I'm I'm someone who's when I put my mind to it in school or sports growing up, I was able to be pretty successful. And I was like, why not this? Right. And so there was this cycle for probably a couple of years there in high school where it was basically just like white knuckling with more willpower. Um, and I remember like this relationship almost of like the harder I tried to white knuckle with these same kind of thought patterns, the worse the problem got. Mm. And again, that kind of compounded then to feeling more shame and feeling like more isolated and more kind of hate towards myself. Um, and so I don't know like exactly how this happened, but at some point I think my mom kind of felt like something was off and did approach me. I was in my junior year, so like 16 years old. And she kind of asked me like, Hey, is we talked about kind of pornography and stuff growing up. Has that been something that you've ever struggled with? There's been an issue for you. Like, hope you know that we can talk about it if it has. Um, and I decided to be honest with her and we had a great conversation. And from there, um, was kind of like okay now it's like out in the open um but was what was interesting about this theme of isolation is i still didn't really bring her into my support system and and like leave the theme of isolation completely just mm -hmm. because we had this one like disclosure type conversation the day-to-day -day kind of recovery journey from there was still almost exactly identical to before that conversation like yeah. i wasn't super honest with her we didn't really have another one of those conversations for a while um, and I think my early, I guess, misconception there was that just talking to someone was getting out of isolation and why I think that's a great first step. And we can dive into this more, you know, if you want, mm -hmm. like, I, I felt like I was less isolated, but then realized that I was still falling into the same patterns. Totally. Um, so yeah, I, I eventually, uh, found a, a local group-based program. Um, my mom actually suggested it to me and I decided to give it a try because I realized just kind of analyzing the previous few years of trying to quit, realized that it wasn't actually working well at all. <laughs> and so I, I knew that this group would actually be with guys who were kind of like young adult, like somewhat my age. And I was, I was open to the idea of like, uh, like not doing this alone anymore, even though I didn't know what it meant. And it definitely felt a little scary. I jumped into that. And I think that's really where things started to change for me, where I 
didn't just start telling people what was going on, but I started to figure out how to work together with other mm-hmm. people. And it was these guys from my group. It was actually starting to bring mm-hmm. uh, my parents and my my church leaders into the journey a little bit more and not just a single conversation. Um, but I noticed these themes kind of fast, fast forward over the years um, with my experience in groups. I started to see a pattern too of like how just showing up at group and even trying to stay connected with these guys between our meetings, which for us, it was Thursday nights, once a week. Um, like there's a difference between just trying to checking the boxes there versus really putting in the work to avoid isolation and have deep, meaningful connection um, with, with them and with my whole support system. And eventually kind of how Relay came about was just realizing like, it is really hard to, to avoid these pitfalls of isolation, even for people that have committed and decided to, mm-hmm. to join a program or to get help in a deeper, more meaningful way, it can still be so easy to avoid uh, real meaningful connection. And uh, where Relay kind of came about, we were just a few friends that I talked to about this in college. The three of us were like, you know, what if there were a tool uh, that made it easier for people to stay connected Mm -hmm. once they have had those conversations they do know some people in real life whether it's their group or a few friends or family members what if there was a tool that actually kind of helped semi-automate and make it a little easier to have a a deep and meaningful support system seven days a week that's cool um and that's that's how relay started Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really awesome i love in your story you said you know this was something your family did talk about so kudos to your parents for having those open conversations and at least establishing some health of th- this is an area that needs to be talked about in, in order for us to grow and to change. And, and you've already, you know, d- helped us dive into the topic, but we really want to focus on how do we break out of isolation and how does, you know, even technology help us do that. So before we go too far, I, I think many people might feel like they understand what we mean when we say isolation, but let's just be clear what do we mean when we say someone is in isolation or getting stuck in isolation? How how would you define that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think back to what I would describe it as in my personal experiences and talking with other people. I think it often feels like we are are guarding ourselves from someone or something where there's a lot happening in this world inside of our head that almost no one probably outside of ourselves knows really what what that world is like and what we're thinking and feeling and experiencing um i I think it can look like being surrounded with a lot of friends and people you love and having relationships like i can be you know hanging out with groups of friends and attending my group meetings and um i'm married right so like hanging out with my wife but i can still be guarding myself uh from a layer of Mm -hmm. authenticity and connection by i guess like almost a sense of survival and trying to keep myself safe by um, reserving whatever thoughts, feelings, beliefs, experiences to myself and not kind of bringing those people in my circles into that world. Yeah. Um, Author and speaker Ian Morgan Cron, who's an Enneagram expert, I've heard him say that there's a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is sharing, but vulnerability is inviting people in. And I think that isolation is, and I love that you said that, you can kind of have this covert isolation where you're still around people and in community, but you're not actually being vulnerable and sharing what's going on and inviting those people into it in a way that they're giving you feedback and able to explore that with you as well. 
Um, But I also think, and this has just been my experience, that I can even isolate from my own self in the sense of like, I have this shame or this pain that I'm feeling. And instead of addressing that and thinking through it and processing, you know, even by myself, I can just isolate from that too. I can binge Netflix or I can dive into a book or exercise or even pornography, masturbation, all of that. And so I think that isolation, um, yeah, I, I just know for me, isolation can be pulling away from being vulnerable with other people, but then also pulling away from feeling the feelings that I have going on and being able to process them. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is I think isolation is also driven, and you mentioned these, that there's typically some very negative messages going on in our thinking of if if others knew these things about me, they would reject me, or I feel bad about what's going on, and so I don't really want to share these things. I'd prefer people only see the cleaned up version of me. I don't, I don't yeah. want to reveal these things that make me look bad or maybe feel embarrassed or stupid, or I, I'm fearful of their reaction, that they might be angry or disappointed. And all of that is a part of what drives isolation and keeps us not only from transparency, but the vulnerability you're talking about, because yeah. those messages can be so powerful. And so I just, we want to be clear to say that isolation doesn't mean you're alone because it's very possible to be alone. Yeah but not in isolation because you're, you're choosing some alone time for solitude, for reflection. Yeah. Uh, but it's also possible to be around a lot of people and be in isolation totally. because no one really knows what's going on. And so we, we've got to kind of look at that, that deeper factor of what's, what's driving me into isolation. Yeah. Um, Chandler, the heart of your app is really helping people break out of isolation and stay connected to their community. Um, and you've mentioned you know, that could be friends, family, spouse, church, you know, community, things of that nature. But in the area of sexual brokenness, why is isolation so damaging? Yeah. Well, I think you kind of touched on it almost with with that insight around how there's this layer first of isolating from ourselves. Why do we turn to these behaviors that we don't want to engage in? Well, oftentimes, and a lot of the psychology and research out there points to our brain feels pain and we're seeking for a way to escape or relieve from that pain. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there's not an awareness or, or skills to be able to effectively manage those stressors and triggers and to really keep ourselves um, like managing in a healthy place. And, and so I think like for me, I, I feel like for a long time and I'm still learning this, like I wasn't aware of the stressors and triggers that were going on in my life. Like I didn't, notice feeling like I was super depressed or feeling super lonely uh, or super rejected or, or stressed. But I think in a lot of ways, there were micro examples of all of those things mm-hmm. and how I was feeling that I just didn't even know. And I think subconsciously, I was trying to push those away because like you brought up, I, I wanted to project that positive cleaned up image to other people, but I think also to myself, like I had this belief that, no, I'm a person that like, you know, does what he says he's going to do and like makes good choices and like achieves what he wants to. And, and so subconsciously, I think I was crowding out those stressors and those triggers and I had no awareness or ability of how to like address them and not just pretend they don't exist. And so I think what makes it so difficult then is, um, all of a sudden I'm, I'm slipping up or it feels like out of nowhere, I'm just turning to pornography and it's compulsive and I can't break it. Well, if there's no awareness because we've crowded out with that kind of out isolation with ourselves and with others, well, how are we going to be able to address kind of up the funnel before it turns into yeah. seeking seeking uh, the behavior to act out? I, I'm not, you know, going to give the psychology lesson on every detail and how it works, but I think it is that principle of like it is really hard 
to to manage the various elements of recovery if we're out of tune with others and ourselves, and, oh. and if we're not bringing people in. That was, a, I mean, that was a good summary. Yeah, <laughs> even if you're not yeah. governed at all. Well, and, and isolation keeps us blind to our true needs. You know, as as you think about recovery, our true need isn't simply to be free of a behavior or to avoid pornography or to make good choices. I mean, those things are valuable, but what we, what we truly need, and you know, we've talked a lot about Dr. Kurt Thompson and his phrases about, you know, we're, we're all born looking for someone looking for us and that never changes. We all have these needs to feel safe, soothed, you know, secure. And, and yeah. those are ongoing human needs that are operating underneath this level of just being free of a behavior. And so our, you know, our, our need isn't just for freedom. It's the need for connection. And we've quoted also Johan Hari on a lot of these pod- podcasts who says the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. That what we're really after yep. is those meaningful relationships where we feel safe, seen, yep. soothed, secure. Um, and so that only comes through breaking out of isolation, not simply as you were saying in your story, Chandler, to, to just white knuckle it, to try not to do it. Well, so many of us have been there and tried that and we realize, well, maybe we don't realize, but as we look back, we can see it was unsuccessful because all we were trying to do was avoid a behavior without actually recognizing what was needed instead. And that's all about connection and relationship. Yeah. I think with my understanding of it is that shame really breeds isolation and isolation breeds more shame. And so it's a self-perpetuating cycle of, I feel shame for a behavior that I'm doing, which you know we know from even our conversation now is a way to medicate pain I'm feeling in life. So I go to this behavior, then I feel shame, which makes me want to pull away from people. The pulling away from people tends to elevate the pain in my life, and then I feel more shame, act out, do, and it's just the cycle that goes on and on and on. And it's one of those things that if you're not able to break out of isolation and start connecting with, you know, and in, in our context, that's why Pure Desire groups are the center of what we do is because it's a place where you can be real. You can process what's happened in your family of origin and your history and can unpack why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think that that's why isolation can be so damaging because it keeps you from actually getting out of the cycle that just perpetuates itself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, we're, you know, we're talking a lot about that isolation obviously has a lot of negatives and it keeps us from connection. So to, to just unpack that a little more, Chandler, what are some of the other negative effects of isolation? What is it doing to us if we're routinely finding ourselves stuck in that? Yeah. Well, I think you brought up a really interesting one about how like what like what is our actual goal with recovery it's hopefully not just to rid ourselves of the specific behavior but actually to move towards this life of healing and growth and filling it with with all of these different positive things and i think isolation can lead us to think that that isn't actually the goal that i can hopefully just escape from the bad thing and it, it's still not bringing me anywhere closer to any of those good yeah. things that you talked about. So I think the dangers is actually really misleading about what the true purpose of recovery is and the real opportunity and blessing that I think uh, a full recovery journey can bring, which is all of these, I think, real growth and healing opportunities and, yeah. and chances for God to teach us and bring us new things into our life, that if we let this cycle of shame and isolation perpetuate, um, I think it's just really hard to maintain sight of mm-hmm. what we're really after. And and with the number of people I've talked to, friends and, and other people that I care about that have struggled with this, it's just really sad to see the effect that that then takes on like their mindset and what they expect of themselves or hope for their lives because they just become used to um, 
like feeling like they don't have that safety. They don't have the the feelings of authentic and vulnerable and transparent connection mm -hmm. that breeds these other positive experiences in our life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think all of those things just yeah. lower our our uh, our sights of of really what recovery mm -hmm. can bring for us. Yeah, I think I mean it can bring hopelessness. It can bring depression. There's stuff that you know um, is obviously like diagnosable, but I know that a lot of this can, um, create situations like that with people. Um, I think it also damages our relationship, not just with ourselves and other people, but also with the Lord. And I think, um, and this is, this is so true in my life that if I'm feeling bad about myself and I don't like me, it's easy for me to project that onto the Lord. Like I know that he loves me and everything, but he's just putting up with me because of what Jesus did. He doesn't actually love me. And so I think and that how close, how close can you feel to, to him when you're thinking that way and feeling that yeah. way like it's almost impossible to feel right a hundred percent and I, I think that um with that when that isolation happens from other people and from the lord we're not getting fresh and like reality input from outside ourselves we get stuck into our own thoughts and our own patterns and our own way of seeing and observing the world and so i just it just perpetuates more of what I already think about myself rather than allowing the Lord to speak into it and to his people to speak into it. So I think those are other damaging aspects yeah. of isolation. Yeah, that, that's what I wrote down is the word blind spots, that yeah. when we're in isolation, we're, we're not able to see what we're missing. Sometimes it's lies we believe about ourselves and our value and worth and identity. Sometimes it might be lies we believe about God and how he feels about us or uh, because so many of these lies are rooted in that, that trauma, those things that happened earlier in life where we've internalized messages and if we're in isolation, we haven't been able to speak them out in a community where others can say, and, and this is what I think is so beautiful about group, when we'll say something out loud, and we maybe hear ourselves say it for the first time and realize, wow, I actually believe that. Or other times yeah. we say it, and it's not until someone says it back to us, who, and they'll comment like, so you're saying you believe that you know, when you do this, God is angry? And, and, you know, and they, they say it in a way, it's like, wow, I've never thought of it. Yeah, I, I believe that. So those those blind spots just get perpetuated because we, we can't see what we can't see. And if we hold that inside and are isolated, no one can help. And God gives us other people to help for those very purposes. And so when we're trapped in those blind spots, I do think it makes us very susceptible to all of the rationalization or minimization or excuses that we've all used that causes us to go back to those unhealthy behaviors, to seek out pornography or whatever you know is kind of our vice. Um, be, because we're we're caught in those blind spots, and so then the behaviors that we're choosing make more sense. Cause like, well, you know, because I'm trash, I might as well do this, or right. because no one cares, I'll do yep. this, or yep. and and until we break out of that, we're just going to continue stuck in some of those same self defeating cycles. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, for some reason, I, I know the reason. The words of Jay Stringer, friend of ours, um, an author of Unwanted, talks about that. That we perpetuate these addictive or unwanted behaviors because they're just proving to us that we are as dirty and terrible as we think we are. It's just a way to perpetuate our own self-belief. Um, okay, so I think with, under, I mean, it's clear, for, even from our conversation, isolation can be so damaging and be such a huge hurdle uh, when it comes to recovery and healing from sexual brokenness. Um, so to better understand that, what are some signs that we are starting to pull away and are starting to isolate from the Lord, from other people, from ourselves? Yeah, I, I think almost going through those different layers and looking at your relationship with yourself and then maybe your relationship with the Lord and then maybe your relationship with others, 
and maybe asking some of those questions or kind of thinking about some of those themes that we've been discussing already, like with myself, like, is it, is it possible that I'm experiencing feelings or having thoughts that I've been either subconsciously or consciously pushing away, not addressing, mm. not really dealing with, um, like, are there beliefs that if I were to say them out loud, like thoughts about myself, um, would someone I love probably say that that's silly or, or like, why would I think that? Like, would they find that probably like alarming or, mm. or just not true? Um, cause I think for me, like before I even had the courage to really start having some of these more vulnerable connection experiences with others, almost playing the tape in my mind and realizing like, yeah, my wife probably wouldn't agree with me that I'm trash or that nobody cares, but those are the thoughts that have been going on about this relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so almost starting to like do this inventory of like, am I having some of these thoughts that maybe like don't make sense or like, are there these evidences that I'm probably like pushing some of these things away and not wanting to deal with them. And then I think likewise with, with God and with other people, like how, how safe do I feel? Like, as I think about those different relationships, do I feel like I have that sense of safety? Do I feel like I am letting people fully in? Like it, even for me, it helps to think about kind of practical moments and thinking about how honest have I actually been with maybe the one or two or three people that I have kind of chosen or pre-committed that I do want to have a really vulnerable, authentic yeah. connection, deep, rich, like relationship with, and just thinking about the last little bit, like how honest have I really been about the ups, the downs, the thoughts, like everything with them. And sometimes it's not just like I'm, uh, it, it may be for most people, it may not be that we're just intentionally withholding, but maybe we're kind of subconsciously choosing kind of an easier path as opposed to making time or creating opportunities to even do that. Like you brought up the example of like, it's probably easier to go turn on Netflix as opposed to like, maybe I do need to spend an hour just having a, a more deep and raw conversation with my significant other tonight um, to, to like even get to that place. Right. But subconsciously, my brain knows that that is uncomfortable and Netflix feels easy. And so I'm going that way. Yep. So I think kind of looking at those patterns in your life can help identify like are we choosing that easier path of escape versus in these different relationships yeah. are we choosing to to create that type of connection yeah yeah but what i thought about is how isolation you know is really kind of the outcome of a path and the question well where can that path start i think for a lot of people it, it starts with small things something where maybe we you know click on clickbait and we know it's sexually inappropriate and mm -hmm. and, and it was quick and we get off but we just feel stupid and like that was just a small thing I'm not going to tell anyone. And, and over time, those small things start to accumulate because, well, we didn't tell anyone about that and then about the next thing and the next thing. And, yeah. and now we're in isolation where there's these parts of us people just don't know. And so having that awareness, I, I just need to keep a clean slate, I think, is a big deal. Um, another sign I think we're moving towards isolation, we, we might hear ourselves saying, well, I don't want to bother them. Mm. It's not that big of a deal. I'll handle it on my own. I, I, you know, I'll, maybe yeah. I'll share it later. I just don't want to bother them. Well, now we're we're thinking through kind of the wrong lens and, and missing how important this is for me and yeah. my health. And if people have said, you know, I, I'm here for you, I care about you, I want to be a part of your journey, it's not bothering them. And, and we need to, you know, get over that voice. And then the last thing I just thought about is if, if we find we're, we're not ever being intentional, as you were saying, Chandler, to have those conversations with people we've committed to, and we're just kind of going through the motions, we're, we're, we're doing life and we're ignoring a lot of things as opposed to saying, hey, I, I need some time to connect with you, making a we our weekly phone calls like yeah. we talk about with group or or yeah. even being in a group to just have intentional places where 
the goal of this conversation is vulnerability, because I think for a lot of us, and I raise my hand and, and say, I'm in this category. If I'm not intentional, it's hard for me to choose vulnerability. It, it's just easier, you know, to, to avoid and be like, ah, I'm just mm-hmm. not going to bring it up. And I think a lot of us, are, that's, that's just a reality of our human mm-hmm. nature. So I think we have to be intentional to have those places where the goal of the conversation is vulnerability. Yeah. In my experience, um, and I, I can tell you this happens often, even now that I've been in recovery for as long as I have, if I feel prompted to share something, like I know something maybe you know, my three circles, or I feel like it's something that's going on emotionally I need to share with somebody, I feel prompted to share it. And I'm like, "Mm," or not. That's me isolating. Like, that's the first sign. Okay, like I clearly there might be shame, fear of judgment, whatever it may be that's already there. To me, that's like an indicator on the dashboard saying, okay, there's something going on here. You do actually need to share this and need to unpack what's going on. And for me that at this point, you know, I'm not in a group currently, but it looks like texting, you know, Justin's a part of the group, but I've got a group of four other guys that I text, like, here's what's going on. And, um, oftentimes I do get like a, wow, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Um, and honestly, like, it's funny because I never actually get the judgment that I'm afraid I'm going to get, you know what I mean? Ever. No one is ever just like, oh, wow, that's awful. Yeah. You, thanks for telling us. You should probably figure that out. Like no one does that. Um, (laughs) Justin is here, producer huh. in the background, creeping. Uh, you know that's true. Don't don't pretend that's not true. But I think that that for me is the biggest indicator. If I feel prompted that this is something I need to share and invite someone else into, but I am adverse to that and try to pull away from that, that for me is the first sign of isolation. Uh, so at this point, maybe a lot of our listeners are you know feeling a little bad about their isolation and they're tempted to isolate because they don't want to share that with anyone about feeling bad that I get stuck in isolation and. I think we've really unpacked a lot of the dangers of it. So let's turn the corner and, and think more about growth and health and change. So along those lines, Chandler, what are some tips or steps that you would encourage people to take to break out of isolation? Yeah. Well, I think I think with anything really difficult, like I think it's important to recognize with this, uh, knowing how to break out of isolation and developing that that ability to stay in a healthy zone that that doesn't regress back into isolation is a skill that is difficult that probably most adults or people in the world are still learning or yeah. have not mastered. And so I think first and foremost, like I've, I've tried to remind myself over and over, like I need to have self-compassion and some acceptance that, um, you know, this, this is a skill that I need to work at and probably won't perfect just by listening to one podcast episode and then willing it to be different tomorrow. Unless it was this podcast episode, yes, Chandler, that, and then it would change right. your life. <laughs> In the which case you all should get it perfect by tomorrow. That's right. I'm just kidding. Yep. Game changer. Um, but I think, I think that kind of compassion is a really important foundation to working on this so that, um, when it doesn't go well, it doesn't fuel that pattern of shame where it's like, crap, I'm, I'm doing it. Well, I guess I'm just too weak to like make the right choice and like break out of isolation. Like anyway, so I think that's like step one. Uh, Another thing that came to my mind, Nick, as you were talking about creating like these intentional places where, where the goal of the conversation is vulnerability and is connection. I think having that kind of a a setting to practice in can be really helpful because often it's really easy to recognize or a lot easier to recognize in other people before ourselves. Like when I start to see someone else, um, like giving off these cues, like they're withholding and don't want to be vulnerable or they're starting to choose to be vulnerable 
or they're maybe reflecting about the past week and and talking about some of these self-beliefs or just these various evidences that they've been isolating. And it's really easy for me to spot, well, like that's happening. Like I can clearly see like kind of the unhealthy patterns mm -hmm. in someone else. And I think it has helped me like to have those settings where I'm able to recognize, oh, like I probably do it similar or like that's maybe how like it looks like for me. And so I, I think building awareness is a really important skill just to even know when like it's starting to happen and to like increase um, the speed at which we start to become aware that it's happening. And so I think by practicing in these intentional conversations, which I think group is maybe one of the best settings to do that, I think we can start to see in others and then eventually kind of in ourselves, like yeah. basic awareness on where this might be happening. And I think the power of awareness is really great. Once we're aware, we're, we're so much more capable, I think, of addressing totally. and managing it. Yeah. Um, and so maybe then just to finish off the the tips for like, okay, I'm aware now, now what do I do? Like I notice I'm starting to isolate it in the moment um, or that maybe for these past couple of days, I've been starting to move into a place of isolation. What do I do? I've noticed for me one really effective way to ease in ease into breaking out of isolation, or I guess easing out of isolation mm -hmm. is to practice in a lower stakes context that isn't about addiction. So like if I need to start being more vulnerable because I've been isolating like with my wife, um, instead of just being like, hey, babe, I want to talk to you about like that, like something that happened yesterday while I was on my computer. Like, here's all the like negative lies I've been telling myself, like I'll instead first start by just like having a more vulnerable conversation about, you know, asking her how she's feeling, like what's, you know, what, what's been difficult about her day recently and letting her have the chance to ask those questions to me just to create a setting that starts to introduce uh, a little bit of more depth in, in our connection. I find that that then opens the door and I feel a lot safer to then take it mm -hmm. even another layer deeper if it's more sensitive things that maybe yeah. are related to my recovery journey by first kind of starting and practicing in a little bit lower stakes, just like yeah, um, just anything that's more vulnerable than, you know, menial, trivial conversation. Right. That makes sense. I think that that's what makes the group context um, so great is because maybe you do come in, you're not isolating physically, but emotionally you are. If someone else is sharing and being vulnerable, that really does open the door and, and makes us dipping our toe into the vulnerability pool, if you will, a lot easier because someone has already gone first. Um, and I think that that's just, I, I think that's something that happens all the time in a group context. I know that's how pure desire groups are run and um, one of the benefits of having it. But I think part of that too is maybe you're in a group, maybe you're not in a group. To schedule check-ins or to schedule connection points um, each week is, is pro I mean, that's what I would recommend is scheduling check-ins or reaching out each week. So if you're not in group, but you know you have 30-minute drive to work, okay, then I know on Wednesday, I'm going to call one of my accountability partners, my friends, my recovery guys. I'm going to call somebody and just talk about how life is going. Um, having a weekly date night is a great time to check in, you know, with your spouse and to share where you're at emotionally. And so I, you know, and I, and I say this all the time, but I just, it's so true and has been so helpful for me. What gets scheduled gets done. So if you have a plan and you're intentional, I am going to do this on this day at this time, you have less excuse when you get to the moment. You know, you're not just hoping that you react in a positive way. You've planned ahead to know, okay, maybe I'm not in crisis. But I know on Wednesday, I'm going to call Dan or I'm going to call Justin or I'm going to call Emmanuel and I'm going to talk about what's going on in life. And so building that rhythm into your life 
is going to help you not even get into isolation in the first place, but it definitely will help pull you out if you find yourself in it. Yeah, I, I think that's so valuable. If we know there's a place that we go to where vulnerability is expected, it's just a lot easier to develop that rhythm. And like you said, Trevor, that's the value of group is that's the expectation. I'm yeah. coming to be vulnerable and real. And so I don't have to worry like, oh, are they going to be bothered if I share this? Because I, I think there are some environments like the, the typical church small group, and I've been in a lot of them, um, there are levels of vulnerability. Like that's just not expected. We don't, we don't really know how to go there. We're a mixed crowd often. We're getting yeah. to know each other. But like if you're in a recovery group, a pure desire group or something similar, like there's an expectation of we're here to share it all. And that's really freeing. Um, if, if you're still trying to take, as Chandler was saying, some of those baby steps into vulnerability, I think it's just when you realize you're in a place of isolation, it'd be asking God to say, who is a safe person in my world? Who is someone that's a friend, a pastor, a coworker, a, a family member that feels safe? And then going to them and saying, can I share something with you? And I'd, I'd give you those words. Can I share something with you? There's something going on in my life I haven't felt I can tell other people, and I just want someone to process with. And, and as God puts that person on your mind or heart, that this is a safe person to take that step. And um, as so many of us have found, like particularly around this issue of sexual brokenness, addiction, struggles with pornography, when we ask permission to share something and we reveal a part of our story, we find that we're not alone. They go, oh, yeah. I've had that battle too. I've struggled with something similar. Would, you, would it be okay if I shared something with you? Um, and so just looking for those places. And you know, if you're not sure where to turn, honestly, this is also a great role of counseling mm -hmm. to sit with someone who is trained to help draw out things you haven't known how to express, because sometimes that's what we're battling is yeah. we know what's going on, but, but we don't have the language, the words, the context of how do I say this? How do I unpack something I've never unpacked before? Mm -hmm. Well, a therapist is trained to do that, right. to, to ask good questions and to listen. And so that could be a starting point. And I'm, I would just encourage everyone that's not the ending point, because I think too often we've seen it as, well, just go talk to a counselor and never take it out of the counseling office. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's meant to be a starting point of learning like, oh, I've, I've figured out how to put this into words and now I'm going to take this to other people in my life and start being more vulnerable. Then that could be a really valuable role that, mm -hmm. that counseling could also play. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So how would you recommend that someone be proactive to avoid isolation, right? We have some tips to maybe pull out of isolation, but um, what are things we can be putting in place? And I realize I I've kind of sort of already answered this question from my perspective, so maybe I won't say anything. But um, when people feel that desire or that old pattern kicking in of wanting to pull away, what are some proactive things we can put in place to avoid that? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we've, you know, <laughs> thrown out a lot of good ones already. I, I love this idea of like scheduling routine times to deal with it. Like, I think that is a great example. Like my wife and I call it like companionship inventory. Like every mm -hmm. Sunday we have an hour scheduled where the goal is, yeah, to just like the safe space, the time, the goal of the conversation to check in and like have that kind of a conversation. Um, and so I think that can be really powerful. I, I think also like if we're taking proactive measures to like what Nick said, learn how to be in touch with ourselves. Maybe that is seeking out therapy. It can also maybe look like other things like journaling for a mm -hmm. lot of people and um, whatever maybe your meditation or prayer routines might look like, things that can bring us in touch with ourselves and with the Lord, I think. And yeah, where we're necessary professional counseling and help, uh, listening regularly to resources like this podcast or reading a book, like I think that type of time to reflect as well as 
learning resources to improve our our knowledge and our abilities, those things I think give us a more capable toolkit in a proactive sense that then we can apply when we start to notice that we're feeling isolation. We can pull out those tools that we've been developing. I think too, a way to be proactive is to have that vulnerability to tell someone. Yeah. To just be able to say to someone, man, I'm really feeling tempted to just escape, to just isolate, to ignore the world, to, you know, sit in my in my struggles or shame or problems, whatever we're feeling, because before we go there to just acknowledge, this is what I'm feeling. And hopefully there's someone in our life or a group member or a spouse uh, that, that is able to just say, oh, why are you feeling that way? What's going on? And, and to unpack, what are the things that are driving me towards that? Because that's really often all I'm looking for is I, I need a way to face this. And I can either face it by escaping and trying to avoid it or ignore it, or I can unpack what's going on. And so I, I think being able to tell someone and I think like you were saying too, Chandler, that the schedule of that's, that's why I encourage so strongly the weekly phone calls in a group setting, whether you feel like you need yeah. them or not, maybe right. you're not at the moment Just feeling doing, triggered. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the reason for the phone calls because I'm currently feeling triggered. Now that is a good time to make a phone call, yep. but it's really just developing this habit of, Hey, I'm, I'm chatting with a group member and I'll part of my patterns to say, you know, here's my commitment to change for the week. And Here's where I think I'm at on the faster scale, which as most listeners probably know by now is just an emotional inventory of where am I at on the road towards health or relapse to just say, I'm today, I think I'm stuck in some, um, in ticked off. Here's something that's really bugging me. And I might not even have really thought about it or put it into words until I'm going to make the phone call. But as I'm talking it through, it's, it's like my own brain is hearing the words and going, oh yeah, I am, I am angry and okay, I need to do something about it. But unless I make that phone call, it just stays internalized and it, it's very likely to keep driving me further down into some form of isolation or escape. Yeah. And what's interesting is like far too often, I feel like before we're willing to vocalize that, we almost feel like we need to have a, a solution or like a resolution yes. yeah. that, to that problem, like ready to share. Like I don't want to open up to to someone in my group or to someone I care about with what's going wrong. Unless I can also kind of save face and be like, but here's how I'm thinking about it. Or here's what I'm yep. like trying to do about it. And I realize that that often is like almost too late most of the time. Like it's probably good to just vocalize. I'm thinking about or like I'm just wanting or feeling the urge to do this or yep. like I just am not wanting yeah. to do my calls this week. Mm-hmm. And and I'm texting the dude I'm supposed to call. And he's like, well, all right, let's talk about it. Now we have right. something to talk about, yeah. you know, or I think. I think that's really powerful what you're talking about is just being able to vocalize that earlier on in the process mm-hmm. can avoid our our uh, what we tell ourselves about like, well, no, we can manage this a little further ourselves yeah. before we need to do that. And and being able to tell someone, and I don't know what to do about it, right. is part yeah. of our vulnerability. It's like yes. acknowledging for us that feeling of weakness. Like, I don't have a solution. I don't know what it's to do. It's actually a good thing. Right. That is a good thing to be able to say. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Because then we're inviting people's help and support. And that's, I think yeah. that's just part of the vulnerability that we're choosing. Yeah. I don't have an answer. I think another just thought about being proactive is when you feel that pull to draw back from people and to isolate, to just be curious and compassionate. Um, and those are two words, you know, that you hear a lot um, in therapeutic settings. But curious, like, why am I feeling this way? And, and do it, you know, and I love, the, you know, the word that you were talking about an inventory, Chandler, like doing an inventory of where am I at right now? What am I feeling? What has happened this week? Why am I wanting to pull away? 
And then have compassion towards yourself. Maybe you had a really, really hard day or hard week at work. Maybe you have tension with your spouse. Maybe your kids are acting up and there could just be so many different things that are going on. And if you're able to just take a beat, look at it, figure out what's going on and then have compassion towards yourself, you can make more sense of why you're wanting to isolate. And then at that point, you've been able to process it a little bit and then you can share and, and sometimes if you do have it figured out, it's not bad to share if you already have it figured out why it is yeah. that you're feeling that way. Um, and so don't shy away from that at that point. That is a great time to still reach out. So let's bring the conversation back full circle because I know Chandler, some of the, the heart and motive behind you guys developing the Relay app was to help people break out of isolation. So to talk more about how the Relay app could help do that. How does it break people, help people get out of isolation? And then are there any other tools or resources you would recommend that can also be a part of, of people staying out of isolation? Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, I, I think we've touched on a lot of these principles already. And, and maybe I'll use the example of, you know, I, I'm in a group right now and between meetings, we're using Relay as our primary tool to stay connected and stay accountable together. One of the things that we found really powerful early on as we were testing this with various groups and people uh, was this concept of the red flag feature. And a lot of group-based programs have this idea of structured in calls and in times that we do want to either take an inventory uh, with each other, or maybe it's our group meeting where we go through and it is that time to be vulnerable. Um, but creating a way that's even less friction to go from that moment of awareness to like, I should probably talk to someone about this. And it's not like a scheduled time. Um, having a way that is an alternative that is a little bit easier than having to have an in-person conversation or even pick up the phone. And often it can lead to that. The red flag button kind of lets people just send a notification to their group that signals that they're feeling off. It doesn't mean that they're about to relapse. It doesn't have any type of like context to it other than the awareness that someone was starting to isolate or feel a stressor or a trigger and a one-touch kind of way to let the yeah. group know that they need to have a conversation. And what we kind of see often from that is a group member will jump in and say, hey, man, how, how's it going? I know we had our call yesterday and you mentioned this was going on. Is that still on your mind or, or just talk to me? And it's able to kind of mesh together with these other like group meetings and calls that people are having to just be an accessible way to have that during unplanned times. I think another tool uh, in the app that's been helpful for people is the pulse check, which is kind of like this idea of an emotional inventory with the faster scale and being able to identify how am I feeling right now? And so I can schedule and say, I want to get a notification to check in before work. And maybe when I get home or right before I go to bed, the app can remind me to come in and check in. And like, like most of these um, different tools or frameworks, it's just meant to help me be in tune and recognize what I'm feeling and why, and to kind of regulate and process through that. But even if I don't maybe need to or, or want to have like a full conversation with someone or throw that red flag, what's cool is my group, like if Nick or, or Trevor's in my group, they could come in and see, oh, it looks like Chandler checked in this morning and he, he put that he was feeling stressed and anxious. Um, and there's almost kind of that transparency that's baked in that doesn't require always having an explicit or direct conversation about it that often can lead to that mm -hmm. um, in other moments, but just having kind of a level of at any point, my group can come in and see how I'm feeling. And that just kind of has a baked in sense of safety. And uh, again, just trying to remove the friction from making making some of these principles we're talking about a little bit easier. Yeah. Same thing with like accountability, like my commitment to change goals or whatever I'm working on during the week. I can customize and track those in Relay. 
And instead of having to wait till group meeting to tell people whether I'm doing them or not, or till my next accountability call, um, we can just kind of see in the app how our team is doing with everyone's individual goals. And that kind of creates these, um, I guess, opportunities where we feel like we're in this shared environment rather than doing our own isolated thing. And then we come together once a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those sound like some really valuable tools. Uh, tell people too, where where can they find the Relay app if they want to check this out, if they want yeah, to sure. see how it would work for them or for their group? What what are the next steps in terms of engaging with yeah. Relay? Yeah, so the website is uh, joinrelay.app. It's also available on the App Store and on the Play Store for Android. Uh, you can just search Relay, Improve Together. And then there's a way both if, if someone doesn't have a group already, they're not attending group, we can actually help match them with a group of peers that awesome. kind of fit similar characteristics to them. Uh, if they do have a group, though, we also make it easy to kind of set up a private team. Mm-hmm. You can basically like fill out a little request and then we'll help structure a private code that will let your team try it out for a while, basically. Um, but yeah, that's that's how people can try it out. And yeah. then I know you you also asked about other resources. I mean. I think in general, the, the best resource we have to practice these skills is like our, our self, like our, our voice and our phones, honestly. So like in-person opportunities, both planned and unplanned, and also mm-hmm. people that I'm not in person with, planned and unplanned. And we talked about scheduling times. Um, we talked about being able to have awareness to do it kind of impromptu. I think as we seek out uh, books and podcasts and that, I didn't come prepared with a list of various resources, but there's a lot written out there about totally. how to develop these kind of skills, not just for addiction, but for relationships in mm-hmm. general. So I think seeking knowledge there and then finding ways that maybe make sense for my personal life system of, you know, yeah, maybe I do want to ha- set up kind of a text like weekly structure yeah. with a few of my friends. Yeah. And maybe I do want to like um, try adding relay in with my group from, you know, whatever. And maybe I do want to like, just practice like this system of Wednesday nights with my wife. Like we, yeah. we sit down and have an inventory together. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of prayerfully seeking, like what is the right system to help integrate these principles totally. for you? Yeah, this has been such a great conversation. I think breaking isolation is so key in the recovery and restoration process um, for an individual, for a couple. Um, and we know that Chandler, you and your team at Relay are helping people do that. And we hope that this conversation helped really identify some of the ways we are isolating and pulling away from relationship and what are some ways we can re-engage in community with ourselves and with the Lord. So Chandler, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate you being with us and the work you do with Relay. Thanks so much, guys. And wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help you take back your life from unwanted sexual behavior and betrayal trauma. If you or someone you know needs recovery and healing, go to puredesire.org and begin the journey today. If you like this episode or are a fan of the podcast, please share it with others. Make sure to check out the full episode on YouTube as well. And lastly, never stop being healthy. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire Podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. We we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources. 